Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in here in Mississippi at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, tuning in to our online affiliates around the world, including our friends at iTunes. We appreciate you all being with us as well. Shelley Puhak is making her first appearance on our broadcast this year to talk about an extraordinary book that really it goes to the saying, truth is stranger than fiction. The book is called The Dark Queen the bloody rivalry that forged the medieval world. We're going to talk to Shelley not only about the amazing research she did for this book, and we're going to talk about that because I think it's such a big part of this story, but also what it was like for her to share these individuals that a lot of us have never heard of, but also what she thinks their story says about where we are today as far as history goes as well. If you guys are just now finding out about the Dark Queens, we'll let you know how to get your own copy of the book. Shelley, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. Cyrus, thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, the pleasure is definitely all mine. You've been doing a lot of these chats, so we, we appreciate you not being tired of it yet and, and, and speaking with us today. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I can tell, though, this book, there's so much that went into it. I'm one of the biggest nerds that I know, Shelley, and I wear that badge proudly because as, as fascinating as the book is, I think what you were able to share in reference material, and we're going to talk more about that, is truly fascinating. But I want to talk about what it's been like for you to share this little-known history with all of us. I have to say this has been incredibly gratifying because I stumbled across this story by accident. I was researching something else, and I was just flabbergasted that it wasn't more widely known. So it is just incredibly gratifying to be able to connect with, you know, you, your audience, just people that are eager for, I think, these sorts of, these sorts of stories. Yeah. I, I was, uh, as part of my prep, again, going to my nerdiness, uh, Shelley, I was watching and listening other conversations you've had, and you said in one conversation that you were actually saying to someone, you know, someone should write that, and they were hinting to you, yes, you're right, someone should write this. Um, what was it like for you to accept the challenge of that? I mean, it's one thing to have discovered this this history, but what was it like for you to accept the challenge of actually sharing it? You know, sometimes I think it's good not to know what you're getting yourself into because you might be too daunted to start. So when I started this, I thought it was going to be an article. So um, maybe that's kind of how I wandered into it, thinking this would be a one-off. It would be an article. And I wrote this article for um, a publication called Lapham's Quarterly. But, you know, the story still had its claws in me. And I found that I could not let these two formidable queens go. And before I knew it, you know, I was, I was writing a book. Um, but, you know, I kind of fell into it, and I think sometimes that's the best way for difficult projects like this. So, you know, if you had time to consider it for too long, you might back out. And I think the, the thing is the fact that as you, you are able to share the history here, Shelley, there also is the art. And this is, again, why I'm so fascinated by this because, you know, even as, you know, there's that, that one uh, photo that I saw that kind of – that demonstrates the rivalry of these two queens, you know, the, these two individuals, that it really does show how, you know, they, we see here a picture can, is worth a thousand words. What was it like for you to discover, especially that, that one piece with them with the boxing gloves on? What was it like for you to kind of discover that and the history of this rivalry? 
so for me, I mean, it really was a reminder that history is interactive and um, that we're kind of shaping and remaking history all the time, whether it's what we choose to look at or what we choose to look away from. And I think so often I've been guilty of this, you know, myself, but we're looking to history to confirm our own biases or beliefs. And we're oftentimes missing stories that are right under our eyes. Um, and it's not often a failure of research or even of, you know, having the sources available, but it's a failure of imagination because we just don't imagine that these stories exist. So we fail to see them when they're right in front of us. And I think that is the thing here. So uh, as we you know, kind of have this conversation, Shelley, I think there's so many things. It's hard to to think about this history in a, in, in a vacuum, right, because there are so many interesting facets, I think, that uh, that – or will be appeal to people in 2023. Was that something you knew going in? Or was that part of the discovery for yourself, that even though this was something that was was historical, it also is something that is timely as well? Absolutely. So just to set the stage, too, for some of the um, listeners, this takes place during the transition from the Roman Empire to medieval feudal nation states. So we're talking, um, you know, 1,400 years ago. And initially this was like, you know, kind of this far-off distant land in the mists. But I was, you know, really stunned to discover that so much of the what we're dealing with today, the debates we're having about the role of, you know, church and state, about kind of how we balance sort of like a global perspective with a more local perspective, about the role of women, all of these things were, you know, being debated and hammered out then. And also so much of what was being decided then has an impact on our lives now. And so much of what these queens did, even though it's so remote, you know, they accomplished many things that are still impacting our daily lives today, which I just, you know, I'm always fascinated to see how much is, you know, how much of our lives we think of ourselves as, you know, complete individuals sort of setting out into the great unknown and how much of what we do and what we think is predicated on the past. And I think, too, there's an idea of, especially when it comes to, I mean, life outside of, right? Because um, let's just take Broomhield, for example. You know, Broomhield was an individual that, I mean, that had responsibilities. It wasn't just about what sometimes becomes the headline, right, a rivalry or drama, that kind of the intrigue that we're kind of used to. Um, you write about in the book about Broomhill having family obligations, having things to think about when it comes to family. Do you think that also is something that does become lost, that people, you know, they kind of paint a picture of who individuals were but not realizing that these are individuals who also have their own lives to deal with and can contend with all that comes with that? I think that's a great point that you make because we have oftentimes this view of history, I think the great men of history, and we take these like individuals and we want to know like, you know, how were they made? But we oftentimes fail to see like how they are influenced by the networks around them and this like competing tug of loyalties, whether that's, you know, family and friends. And also the networks oftentimes are well aware of people's enemies, but we don't see all of the friendships, you know, all of like the helping hands that go along the way. And particularly like with Brunhild, one thing that really struck me was to have this fierce early medieval queen, but she's also incredibly loyal. And we see that there are some people that she forges relationships with very early in her life. And she's still very loyal to them and they're very close, you know, decades later. So even though in this cutthroat world, there are people that are able to like forge and form and maintain relationships. 
and I think those relationships go go very deep. I mean, and outside of Broomhill, of course. And is the name pronounced Fredegund? Um, Fredegund. The good thing Fredegund. to know too is that they had Broomhill and Fredegund. There are so many various pronunciations of their names, even in their own lifetimes. That as long okay. as you're in the ballpark, like you're you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so with, with, with Freda Gunn, then I, I think the the interesting thing there too, again, going to the dynamics because I, I think again it's very easy to to want to choose a side to, to to pit someone against one another, but again, as we kind of talk about Freda Gunn as well, having to deal with the same things, and and it's so interesting to hear you talk about loyalty when it comes up to to Brunhild because that is not something it seems like people would have thought of as much with Freda Gunn. What was it like for you to see the dynamics with Freda Gunn? Freda Gunn's life, because she has such a different background, Brunhild's born a princess, and you know, with all of the privilege that that entails, whereas Freda Gunn has a completely different upbringing. She is an enslaved person, and we know, you know, she grows up as a kitchen maid, um, and then she becomes an attendant to to a queen. Um, and we also know some things about her, though, that um, because her life, especially her early life, is not as well documented, we have to kind of speculate and fill in some of the gaps. But one thing that's really fascinating to me is that Fredegan manages to get herself an education. So for a kitchen maid to manage to not only speak and read Frankish, her native tongue, but also Latin, which is, you know, the language of the culture and the language of the church, it speaks to the fact that not only is she, you know, incredibly ambitious and, and potentially charismatic, but there have to be some people who are loyal to her as well, who she's able to, you know, charm, but they're also able to see the potential and they're willing to invest in teaching her. And again, we also know that Fredegan is able to pull off some, you know, extraordinary things when it comes to spycraft and when it comes to her military defeats. And again, she's not doing that in a vacuum. You know, no matter how brilliant a, a you know, strategist you might be, you need to have boots on the ground. You need to have ears at the keyhole. You know what I mean? Like people who are eavesdropping and listening. And it speaks to the fact that she's also able to command loyalty, and particularly usually among the lower and the servant classes who are willing to gather this information that she's able, you know, to do something with. And to that point, I made a note, Shelley, uh, speaking about Fredegund, that, that of course, um, things that came up in literature, including with Shakespeare, and, and even someone that you mentioned in the book, too, with, with Christine, talking about Fredegund's military leadership. And, and I love the fact that the one quote that was included there is showing that two things can be true at the same time. Uh, you wrote, the poet concedes that Fredegund was unnaturally cruel for a woman, but she also praises the queen's skillful handling of power. You know, I think, you know, it, it kind of really goes to that point of those interesting dynamics. What was the big surprise for you? I'm curious about this. As, since this was not necessarily a project that you, you know, intended to do, um, what was it like for you? What were some of the things that really surprised you? I was frequently surprised by um, – I had this, you know, kind of – view of the early Middle Ages as perhaps being, you know, incredibly backwards. Um, it, you know, a prejudice that I was going into this with because we've all grown up, even if we fight against it with this, you know, idea of the quote-unquote dark ages. So some things that just surprised me in this era would be where I'd be reading a source and then there's an offhand mention to a successful surgery. And you're thinking, hold on, 
they can't even, you know, at this time period, the aqueducts have broken down. Sometimes they don't even, aren't even able to boil their water and people are, you know, dying of dysentery, but they're also performing surgery or they're able, um, their understanding of plague and how it's spread and contagion seems like really well advanced. And we also, you know, certainly there are people that hold some very progressive ideas. So it was really interesting for me to see that everybody's not a monolith, that even at this time period, we have powerful men debating, you know, whether women should hold power or not, or what the role of the church should be, or whether you should tolerate people of, you know, a surprise to me. And I think as people read the book, there is this fascination with this time, right, as well. Talk to us about that, because I think, you know, there is, again, showing how how relevant it is, even to conversations today. Talk to us about what it's been like for you to kind of show the 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 interest, of course, in this history, but also in the time period that these two women lived in, Shelley. Sure. So there are some really eerie parallels, I think, to life today because at the time when these women are coming onto the scene, the world has just endured horrific climate change. So there has been this two degree, you know, change in temperature that we're all being warned of today. And then they've also survived a worldwide pandemic. So that obviously hits pretty close to home. Uh, so this is like a really dark time. You know, people are struggling and they've dealt with a lot of upheaval. But also because of this, there's a lot of social mobility and there's a lot of openness and willingness to try out something less conventional. And I think that's an interesting lesson for us today to look at how in the midst of some of our challenges, we might also transform those or flip the script and look at them as opportunities. I think that is a thing for sure. So as I mentioned in the outset, you've been doing a lot of these conversations, Shelley. Um, is that kind of part of the enjoyment of sharing this history, um, that you have people that are not only curious about it but are excited to be able to share it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think every time I get the story into the hands of someone else, it's just you know, incredibly joyful experience for me. This really resonated with me, and I'm just so excited to be able to, like, pass it on. One of my goals in writing this was just to sort of do my part to write them back into history and to hope that, you know, we will see more mentions of Queens Brunhild and Freda Gund in history books or in, you know, those biographies that we write for children and that their names will sort of, you know, enter the discourse and become just better known to all of us. I want to talk about the notes because that, the notes are all, almost a book in themselves, uh, Shelley. And I was fascinated. <laughs> I was fascinated again. I think too, and it's so interesting. And I always hesitate to do this because I'm not trying to paint anyone a certain way. Or, but I think people will will again create their own narrative and have their own opinion. But Freddie Gunn, again, seems to be, of the two of them, definitely seems the most ruthless. I mean, in the, the chapter set ablaze, you know, you even talk about and you elaborate on this in the notes about, you know, torturing women, you know, and, and, and the way that they were, you know, were treated. Talk to us about the notes. What was it like you kind of compile these notes to kind of expound on what you're sharing in the book? So, you know, Writing the notes and deciding what goes in the book and what goes in the notes is, you know, agonizing <laughs> in and of itself. And obviously there's so much more you always wish you could kind of shoehorn into the book. And, you know, you have editors saying we have to make this readable and it can't, you know, it can't be 2,000 pages straight. Um, but so I guess 
it seems like there's there's like two questions in there. One was just about, you know, like Fred against character. And I think it's yeah. interesting, you know, that you, you touch on that. But she also has, um, you know, she doesn't have the family or the wealth or the name behind her. So frequently her existence is so much more precarious. But, you know, so there's certainly a willingness to perhaps go to the mat quicker than someone else might. But at the same time, I think we also have to remember that what Fredegon is doing is no different from what any of the men, even the men with titles and wealth, are doing at the same time. This is an incredibly brutal time. Politics is a complete blood sport, and we have people that are doing away with their you know, young nephews or sometimes you know, their own offspring, their own sons who have risen up in a rebellion against them. So while it's certainly, it's certainly hard to read, it's certainly quite upsetting, um, there's also a point of, you know, can you certainly be corrupted by mimicking what those in power are doing around you? Absolutely. And I, you know, think that that certainly happens to her. But I also think it's interesting to see how we throw a lot of shade at Fredegon. Male rulers get a little bit of a pass on. Mm. Yeah. And that was one of the points I meant in the beginning, Shelley, about how timely this is because I felt the exact same thing. That you know, the men would be applauded, you know, they would be you know celebrated for what they've been able to do to you know to get where they got. Then of course the the double standard that that still exists today, unfortunately, right? And and I think that is is really fascinating. And and I think you know as we kind of think about the notes, of course, I have to ask you this question, probably one that you dread, but I have to ask it anyway. And that okay. is, <laughs> do you, do you think you're done with them? Or, or is there more you would like to explore in this time? I feel like you're never finished with a project, but sometimes you just have to stop. Um, okay. But one thing that really interests me are a lot of the women on the periphery who kind of just make, like, cameo appearances. So there's this whole host of women stories that I uncovered while writing this book that I'm really interested in digging into. And, you know, also, yeah. like, the stories of, you know, Brunhild's daughter, or there, um, there are a lot of women who are nieces and cousins and sisters-in-law or fellow rulers whose um, stories are equally fascinating, perhaps not as well documented, but I'd really like to one day be able to return and do something with them, make sure they get their okay. due, too. Love it. A great conversation with you, Shelley. So glad we had a chance to talk. So glad I had a chance to read the book and to discuss it with you. Again, everyone, Shelley Puhak has been our guest. The book is The Dark Queens, The Bloody Rivalry That Forced the Medieval World. It's available through our friends at Amazon.com or through your favorite local bookstore. If they don't have it, I know they'd be more than happy to order it for you. Um, it is one of those books that will definitely have people talking for sure. And, and Shelley, what about yourself? How can our audience stay connected with you? Sure, you can um, look up more about me on my website, which is ShellyPuhak.com, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-P-U-H-A-K.com. All right. Shelly, again, thank you for spending some time with us. Really do appreciate that. and looking forward to speaking with you again. Likewise. And Cyrus, thanks for the great, you know, great questions. I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Thank you as always. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Now let's go make today amazing. Take care. 
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.